it's, it's great to be back in sunny Guernsey. I think we brought the weather with us. Um, when I left to come over here, our back garden was yellow, completely yellow, and I just hope it's rained as much there as it has here. Yeah, so it's about probably two years ago, I think, since I stood on this spot and preached in my last sort of weeks um, and months at this church before we moved over. Um, but for those of you who are wondering who is that guy at the front, or you're wondering where we've been, let me just fill you in. I'm going to let Jackie say a few words in a moment, because we've got to hear from Jackie, haven't we, as well? I mean, come on. Um, you know, we've been in Romsey, which is just north of Southampton um, on, the, on the south coast, for about two years, pastoring an Elim church over there. And um, it's great fun. It's, it's, it's hard work, but we really enjoy it. And, um, you know, the church is probably about, I don't know, something like, we get about 50, 40, 50 adults and about, I don't know, 15 kids now. Something like that. So it's growing. God's bringing along new families in the morning. It's, 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 God's doing some great stuff there. And, you know, when I went over there, in fact, when I was given the job to go over there, and when, when I was actually, in fact, it was probably about beginning of January 2009, I was here one morning in the church doing something to the chairs before a morning service. And I said, I said, Lord, if you want me to go into the ministry, if you want us to do this, and it's got to be your will, I want you, to, I want you to do it, and I want you to, to make it happen. But if it's not your will, let it not happen. You know, and, God's, and we've sort of given every day to God since then. And, and God's taken us on from one thing to another and, and taken us into this ministry and doing great things. I'll just tell you one or two things, and then I'll let Jackie speak, and then I'll get back. I'll get back. Um, one thing we've done is we, we started a thing on a Friday morning called a community cafe, whereby we let people walk in and just come into the church and chat to us and free tea and coffee and cake and sort of pray. Uh, it was an idea that I actually stole from Eldad. I say that um, with no shame whatsoever. I asked Malcolm and Sandy many years ago for permission to, to use the name, and they said, you go ahead. So it's their idea, but we're using it, and it's brought people into the church. We've also got a great mums and toddlers group in the afternoon, which was set up with an amazing name, which Jackie came up with, which God gave her, called Pushchair Pit Stop. So um, we get loads of mums of... of um, of all sort of backgrounds, coming in with the kids in the, in the afternoon, it's growing, and some of them have been coming to the church as a result. So it's good and it's exciting, and, and it's fantastic. I want to speak to you in a moment, but let, let's just hear from Jackie for about two minutes. Come on. Okay, it's really, it's, um, it's really strange to be back. It's just, just like coming home again, and it's, um, it's fantastic. So it's good to see, you, to see you all. I was really looking forward to coming to Guernsey because I thought um, we'll go to Delancey and I won't hear, have to listen to Dave preach because for two years nearly I've had to listen to him preach morning and evening and, it's, and I, I was thinking, oh, it'd be great. I, I'll hear from somebody else. And then Dave said, oh, they've asked me to preach. Oh, okay. <laughs> but he's, he's get, I've got to say he's getting better. No. <laughs> um, it was funny because I was standing in that, that row this morning and I was just thinking... Um, God spoke to me really very clearly about um, just going, being taken from one place and being put in another. And um, as I grew up, one thing I, about my mum that you might know this, but um, wherever she goes, she's very into her plants and she'd take cuttings. There's probably, she's probably been in your gardens and taken, secretly taking cuttings of the plants, shoved them in her handbag and then taken them home and propagated them in her greenhouse. And, and she's, she's done that all my life. It's almost embarrassing. You don't want to take her anywhere public, too public in case she does it. But, um, she'd, she'd take these cuttings and she could make them grow. Now, I haven't inherited my mum or dad's green fingers at all. I can't make anything grow. I'm a disaster area. But um, I was just thinking, and God spoke really clear to me. He said, I took you as a cutting um, from the bush that is Delancey, the tree that is Delancey, and I planted you somewhere else, and now you're flourishing. But also, it's done the bush good. 
Because, you know, sometimes when you've got to prune a bush, you know, you've got to prune a bush and to make it grow even better and to make it grow into maybe a different shape or whatever. Sometimes you've got to cut things out and have to remove them. But, you know, God has really planted us in a place where we've um, we, we seen flourishing. It's not always easy, got to admit that. Um, we're learning. We learn so much every day. It's a real um, challenge sometimes to lead people. Um, I mean, we lead people if they, we go, and if they follow, well, then you've led them. So it, it's an in, it's a challenge, but it's it's fantastic. And we just really, you know, I could just stand there thinking, I'm so grateful to God for putting me in this church for a certain amount of years, 37 years, I suppose it was then, and how that God um, has planted us in a new place and that we've been able to grow. So we thank God for that. Um, we've got some, we, we, we start off all these new things, this cafe, community cafe, the pit, um, push chair pit stop um, we started a youth group but I'm not leading the youth group I'm a member of the youth group because I am about the third the youngest, in the, church, youngest in the church we've got a group of children but I'm about the third youngest so um, I said to Dave I'll come to the youth group but I'm not coming as a leader I'll be a member of the youth group because I am the third youngest in the church so um, and Dave says I'm the most annoying and the most difficult to deal with <laughs> so um, so we've just been able to do lots of new things we started a new house group and we've um, just lots of things. The women's ministry is um, going on leaps and bounds. We have great fun. We eat a lot of chocolate. We eat a lot of cake, as you can see. Um, the women do because obviously Dave's lost weight since we've been over there, and I've put on. Uh, and so um, yeah, we eat a lot. Of, have a lot of fun, and um, the children's work's growing. So um, we just really thank God for your prayers and for for your um, nurturing of us. Right, Uh, this morning, I want to talk to you about flourishing where you're planted. There was once a man who bought a parrot. He bought the parrot, took it home, and to his absolute astonishment, he realised that this parrot could talk. Now, that particular evening, he had the town mayor come round. Okay, the town mayor come round, and while the mayor was there, this parrot started telling the mayor all kinds of things about this man. And at the end of the evening, this guy says, you've got to stop doing that. It's really embarrassing. Don't do it anymore. He said, and the parrot says, okay, I won't do. All right, whatever happens. He said, next time you've got people around, I won't talk. So, okay. So the following day, the, the vicar comes around, okay? And, um, and the parrot's talking, really embarrassing. At the end of the, the day, the man says, stop doing that. Stop doing that. If you do that again, I'm really going to reprimand you. The day after, one of his friends comes around, and, um, he start, and the parrot starts talking again, and really, coming out with really embarrassing things. And the, and the, and the man says, right, that's it forget it, I'm, I'm, you're really going to suffer now. So he gets the parrot and locks the parrot in a fridge for an hour. Okay. At the end of an hour, he takes the parrot out of the fridge and the, fridge comes up, the parrot comes up to him and says, I really promise that I won't misbehave anymore. I, I really promise. I've learned my lesson now in that fridge. It's freezing. The man says, okay. But the parrot says, I've just got one question. He said, what? He said, what did the chicken do wrong? Today I want to talk, talk to you about um, not being locked in a fridge, but about um, a guy who um, thousands of years ago was locked in prison. And as a result of being locked in prison, it, it, it did something tremendous for him. Um, my title is Flourishing Where You Planted, or we could also call it Joseph and His Amazing Technical Endurance Test. Uh, a few years ago, I, I think at the first Christmas service in Romsey, I did a sermon similar to this on Joseph. And I acted, because it was kind of a pantomime feel, I acted out all the parts 
and I had myself tied up when he was in prison and sort of a king and a robe and everything else and a coat while I was preaching, just, because, just to make it different because it was a Christmas service. But it's quite difficult to remember exactly everything that happened in the story. But I'm not going to do that this morning. But I want to read from uh, Genesis 40, verses 1 to 8. And before I do, I just want to say today, this, this is going to be a sermon that will lift you out of what, hopefully, that will lift you out of whatever pit you feel you're in. If, that if today you're looking for God to bring hope or joy or, or to just bring release into your life, Maybe you're looking at your life and you're thinking, things haven't gone the way I want them to go. I've been praying for this and praying for this and it hasn't happened. This has disappointed me. This thing in my life is, is still there. And it's years and years on. And I want to come, in, come with a message of hope this morning and just say to you that God can be right here, right now. He is right here, right now, right where you are. And he can bring joy, hope, peace, success and revolution, a resolution, no matter what, what's happened in your life. Genesis 40, verses 1 to 8, and I'm reading from the NIV. Sometime later, the cupbearer the cup and the baker of the king of Egypt offered their master, the king of Egypt. Sorry, offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? They said, we both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. You see, this is the, the kind of middle of a very, very long story. And if you've read through Genesis, Genesis is brilliant. It's like a novel. So many bits of the Old Testament are like a novel. You can read it. You can put a bookmark in there, read a few chapters at bedtime, and God will give you something. You know, and, it, and, it's, and Genesis is brilliant. But this is the middle of a long story. Joseph is one of 12 brothers, and for some reason he was favored by his dad. And not everybody else liked that. And to make it even worse, he had this dream that the rest of the family would bow down to him. And of course, I mean, if you're going to have a dream that the rest of the family are going to bow down to you, you don't go and tell them. Because so, of course, he went and told them, and he's got his nice flash coat on from Next or, or wherever he got it from, you know, with all the, all the sort of red, red, white, and blue and every, all the stripes in it. He goes up and he tells them that, and they're not too happy. So they sell him into slavery. Okay, and to cut a very long story short, he ends up in, in slavery. Um, and he's in house arrest for about 10 years, and then for a further two years. And it's during that, second, that final two years that he's in prison. Let's just imagine how he might have felt. He was treated very badly. It wasn't his fault. Everything in his life has gone wrong. He's there in prison. All his dreams are smashed in pieces on the floor. He's been treated badly, and he's there in prison. He could have quite easily have felt, have, have just said, well, you know, God's forgotten me. Don't even talk to me about dreams or God or anything else. But amazingly, he said, he's still got his resolve to follow God. And he says, don't dreams belong to God? I mean, how can, how can you say that when you've been treated so badly for 12 years? He's there and he's just, you know, he's, he's, his family are back in Canaan driving around BMWs and, and going to Waitrose and everything else. And their families are getting on. And he's here in, in you know, in this, in this place in Egypt, treated badly. They've forgotten him completely. And yet he still says... While he's in prison, don't dreams belong to God. He still honors God. Have you, do you feel like Joseph this morning? Do you feel like that every single dream you've had or everything in your life has come crashing down around you? Well, this morning I want to talk about flourishing 
where you're planted. You see, where Joseph was, you see, prisons 2,000 years ago are not like prisons of today. Many years ago, I used to be part of the prison ministry in this church, probably about I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. I remember a few of us used to go in then, and I know you've been in since, some of you. But we used to go into the prison, um, and, um, you know, it was, it was sort of a very nice prison compared to perhaps others. And it, was, it wasn't like prisons 2,000 years ago, because prisons 2,000 years ago, I mean, you can be absolutely sure that this guy was part of the time in leg irons, and there were rats and everything running around. It wasn't a nice place. There was no sort of prison charter that said that he could watch Sky movies at certain times in the evening. You know, he, he, was, he was not having a good time, and he was in prison. Imagine if we were in, imagine if it happened to us. Imagine if your family had ganged up on you and had you taken away and put in prison. Any joy that you had this morning worshipping God might, might go. You, uh, you know, we don't know how tremendous adversity might affect us. But imagine if you were taken away to some prison somewhere on the other side of the world and your family didn't even contact you, didn't even, I don't know, text you or Facebook you or write to you or whatever, however people communicate these days, and you were put in prison. I mean, you know, you can be quite justified for being completely and totally bitter. But here was Joseph. Somebody comes along with a dream. Can you interpret dreams? And he says, don't interpretations belong to God? Still honors God. Still decides day after day to get up and give God his best. What a tremendous example. You know, not even a letter from his family. I had a letter recently from the Origami Society. I didn't know what to make of it. You're still awake. That's good. It's always good to know you're still awake. But you know, I, I want to share at this, at this moment, I had, I, had this, I had a dream in about 1988. I can't work out how old I was then. Oh, 21, something like that. I had this dream, and it's a vivid dream, and it's stayed with me all these years. And it's a dream which excites me. And I, and I, I don't know where it came from, but I was, I was in a dream. I was in a shopping center somewhere in England. And in the middle of the shopping center, Jesus was standing there. And a few young men were standing around him, looking at him. And, and this is a very clear dream. And I was standing there watching this. I don't know why it was a shopping center. Maybe God gave me the dream just to bring it up to date. But here was Jesus in the shopping center. And everyone was standing around him. And God said to, Jesus said to them, I offer you living water. And I thought to myself, whatever it is that he's offering them, I want for the rest of my life. I want every day for the rest of my life to give 100% to Jesus Christ. I don't care what happens. I don't care what prayers God does answer or doesn't answer. I don't care if I live in the gutter. I want to live every day for him. I just, there was something so exciting that here were, here, here were these people standing around Jesus. He said, I offer you living water. I thought, it's incredible. I want, I, want to be, I want to be part of that. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I, want, I, want, I really want to. I don't care what happens. That's what I want. Never give up. Let me just tell you about one particular person who had a, a, a terrible time in America once, a man who failed in business in 1831, defeated for the legislature, which is some government body, in 1832. His second failure in business was in 1833. He suffered a nervous breakdown in 1836, defeated for Speaker of the, of the Senate in 1838, defeated for elector in 1840, defeated for Congress in 1843, Defeated for Congress in 1848 again. Defeated for Congress in 1848 again. Defeated for Senate in 1855. Don't worry, it's coming to a close. Defeated for Vice President in 1856. Defeated for Senate in 1858. But then elected President Abraham Lincoln in 1860. Wow. He kept on going. He didn't, he didn't stop and he didn't walk back. He kept on getting up. And that's what Joseph did. Joseph was there in prison. You know, surrounded in leg irons for part of it. Been having false accusations put on him by Potiphar's wife, 
everything that he looked back and he just saw a pile of rubble. You know, they talk about that when, you know, when you put your hands to the plow, don't look back, because if you do look back, you'll be, you, you know, you, you're going to be pretty shocked sometimes. But he looked back and he thought, what's happened? But he still, right there and then, flourished where he was planted and decided to honor God. He could have decided to give up, but he, uh, he could have been vindictive. He could have said, don't you dare talk about my family. They worship the God of Israel. I'm not going down. I'm not talking to them people who follow God again. I want nothing wrong with them. But no, he decided there and then to forgive, to forget, and move on. And look at this bit. Genesis 45, verse 3 to 7. Uh, just a few, a few um, chapters onwards. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Um, is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were so terrified at his presence. He was revealing them, him, himself to them when they did sort of... Um, I mean, you know the story in between. I'm not going into it, but you, you should know it. Um, then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with, uh, with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Wow, how do you do that? Not only is he still honoring God, he forgives them when he comes face to face with them. Not only does he forgive them when he comes face to face with them for all they've done, for the, the horrendous life they've given him, he just he turns it into good for them. He says, look, God meant it for good. I'm telling you, I read stuff like this, and I'm finished. I mean, you know, I think sometimes I read stuff like this, I think, my goodness, you know, how, is that, how different is that to sometimes the Christianity that we can sort of, um, you know, I don't know, uh, follow ourselves, you know, this, in this sort of Western lifestyle, where it's sort of instant gratification. We want answers now. We want everything now. We want to sort of, you know, get our own back on him or her. But here was Joseph standing up, and not only standing up, not only forgiving, but sort of wanting the very, wanting the very best for his brothers and for his family. A book came out about six, seven years ago called A Child Called It. Who's heard of that for, uh, book? I read it. it was, you know, sometimes books come, come out and everyone reads them. It wasn't particularly a Christian book, but it was written by somebody who became a Christian eventually. And I'm not going into details, but um, to, to, to basically just sum it up in a, a sentence about what the book was about, it was about a young boy who was singled out by his parents and treated very badly. They kept him as an animal, made him do all the housework at the age of six, and they never fed him, and it was just horrendous. I won't go into details. But for some reason, it's this in San Francisco in America in 1972. And eventually, he managed to, by the grace of God, to, the police got him out of there through the school, and he was given foster parents, and he was given a lovely upbringing. But many years later, he met his mother face to face. And she was old and frail, and she treated him very badly. She was now very old and very frail, sat there. And he came up to her face to face and said, I forgive you, and I love you. And that was the bit, that bit in the book, I just put it down. I thought, I can't believe this. How can he? I mean, you know, I look back at my life and perhaps, you know, people have done things to me or not everything has gone my way. But, and sometimes you can get a little bit annoyed with things and we can all be tempted to get bitter, can't we? Because we're human. But this was a guy here who forgave his mother. And he, had, he has a, a tremendous relationship with God. He became a, a real strong Christian. But how did he get over something like that? See, today's Pentecost Sunday, and I think the, the, uh, the clue is in that somewhere, isn't it? That we need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us, because we can't do this. We can't forgive and forget ourselves. We can't flourish where we're planted ourselves, but we can with God's help. Romans 8, 18 to 19, don't turn to it, um, you can if you want to, says this, we consider our present sufferings not worth comparing to the glory 
that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. You see, when, when Paul and his companions were going around the Mediterranean setting up churches at the beginning of the first century, they were, ex- they were experiencing everything and anything you could imagine. I mean, they were, they were whipped and broken to pieces, but they carried on, they got up again, and they carried on, they preached, went to another town. And I just think, I want to be like that. I don't care what else happens to me in my life. I want to have that kind of determination. But that was the type of determination that Joseph had. God can use us no matter how bad the situation is, no matter how broken we are. Once he had a, two, um, a toy shop, and there was two chocolate bunnies inside the toy shop. Okay? One chocolate bunny had its feet broken off. One chocolate bunny had its ears broken off. The chocolate bunny with its feet broken off said, my feet hurt. And the one with its ears broken off said, what? But no, no, matter how broken, no matter how broken we are, God can use us. No matter what has happened to you and with you, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you face ahead in this week, God can do something with you and God can use you. God, God is right there in your situation, right where you are. He really is. You know, years ago, I used to, I've been coming to this church for years. I, I sort of joined this church in 94 when I moved here. And I, I remember people coming over here, they used to get back in those days, and you probably still do, and, and people coming over and visiting speakers and missionaries or coming here and say, you know, God's going to do great things in your life. And I'd sit, I'd sit back there and think, yeah, that's okay for you because you're in ministry. But you see, technically, Paul wasn't in ministry. He wasn't ordained or anything like that. He was an ordinary person that God used. And God uses ordinary people. God used Evan Roberts at the age of 26, just prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for months that God would do something in Wales. And, you know, and, and as a result, people were walking out of coal mines in, in 1904 and just falling out in the Holy Spirit because the, 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 the wave of God's presence was hitting them. These weren't even Christians. You know, and this one man prayed, and, and great things happened. And I want to um, basically look at the lesson of the life of Joseph. And, and See, the life of Joseph tells us three things. The first thing it tells is this, that he was... You see, if we find ourselves in a, in a Joseph-like prison, you might be in one right now. You might this morning have thought, well, I'll, I'll, you know, this is my last chance at going to church because, um, or going to do anything for God because I just feel that nothing's gone right for me in my life or this has ha- not happened and God's not answered this prayer yet and that's not happened and this has not happened and I just don't feel right. And maybe today you just didn't feel like coming to any church service. But Joseph was determined to honor God no matter what. Determined to bring God into every single situation. You know, a, a while ago, it was Maria. Is Maria here? Maria Poyner, she's out on some other sort of work, I think. Um, but Maria um, cooked a meal for me and Jackie many, many years ago, and she introduced us to this thing called aromat seasoning. You heard of that? Aromat seasoning is so delicious, and also, it's also very bad for you. I put it on everything. I put it on chips. I put it... Jackie cooks fantastic meals. And then she goes, sort of goes into the lounge, and, and I'm sort of tipping aromat seasoning on it, and she goes mad at me. But I love it. Try, try chips. They, probably, they might sell it at, at Waitrose, but try chips with aromat seasoning on it, and then dipped in mayonnaise. Oh, it's brilliant. Lovely. Then with some lovely French bread, loads of Guernsey butter, loads of chips inside. I know you're hungry, but your meal's coming up in a moment. But aromat seasoning, aromat seasoning's delicious. And, and I, used, I, I put it on everything for some reason. But in the same way, God... Put, uh, sorry, Joseph put the God seasoning in everything. J- Joseph brought God into every situation. Whatever happened, you know, he'd go from day to day and something would happen that perhaps would confuse him. Something, you know, he'd think, why, you know, why has God done this? Why hasn't this happened? 
I don't, I don't suppose there was a day where he didn't think, why, 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 why has this happened? I was really popular back in those days. I had my coat on. Everybody loved me. My, my dad loved me, but they're not here now. And for all these years, I've been here. Everyone's forgotten me. God's forgotten me. Why, 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 why? But he still made a decision to bring God into everything. I remember um, hearing about, uh, who's heard of Richard Wormbrand? Richard Wormbrand, I forgot, I forgot the name of the book, but it's a, a brilliant book, and it's about, he was sort of in, sorry? Torture for Christ, that's it, yeah, I've, I've read the book, and he, he sort of goes through, back when the communists ruled Eastern Europe, and he was sort of in Romania, he was in a, in a, in a prison, and treated really badly by the communists, and he just said that, at one moment, it was, somebody asked him, what was it like in, alone in a cell, or by yourself, and he actually said, you'd be quite surprised that a man would say this, but he says, being alone in solitary confinement was, was romantic, because God was there, and I was just worshipping God all the time. I think, goodness gracious me. I hope I, I, hope I, I feel like that if that happens to me. He was also determined to flourish where he is planted. Determined to completely flourish where he is planted, as well as determined to, to honour God in every situation. You know, across from my office in Romsey. Romsey's a beautiful town. Some of you have been there. It's really funny because we, we're in the church sometimes. And, 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 like, you know, people from, different people from this church have been and sort of relatives and, um, um, and my mother and father-in-law have been and other people have been in there. And if you haven't been over, come over. If you're ever in the Southampton, Romsey area on a Sunday, come up to our church. But across the road from me, my, church, my office is in the church and I sort of look out. And, you know, Martin's office here is brilliant. You've got, you got a great view of the sea. But mine, I, I face a kind of a brick wall across the road. And there's sort of and there's houses there. And there's a, a little tree that's growing right out of the pavement. It's been growing and growing for ages. And I imagine the local town council saying, it's a, such a pretty tree, let's leave it there. And no one can now chop it down, you know. So there's a little, little tree that's getting bigger and bigger across the road. And people walk past and sort of look at it and walk on again. And I'm looking out my office window. But this little tree is surrounded by concrete. There's nothing green around it. It doesn't look very nice. It's, it's, it's just a horrible, damp, rainy sort of English street. But here's this tree just sprouting where it is. The tree never said, I want to be in the middle of a park. It says, right, here I am, and I'm going to work right. I'm going to grow here. And that's what Joseph did. Joseph decided to flourish where he's planted. I mean, you know, if, you, if you're thrown into prison, you know, um, with a, a, a sort of um, what was effectively a, a, a butler and a, a baker, and, you know, sort of... Uh, are you going to make friends with them? Are you going to sit there and look at them? And you know, I remember in being on the prison ministry many years ago in, in Sudbury Prison when I was in, back in Derby before I came over here. I remember going up, sitting next to a guy who'd become a Christian the week before. And I, I chat, chatted to him and he, I said, he said to me, look, if you'd have come here a week ago, he said, I'd have broken your neck. Um, and I thought, my goodness, you know, um, how, how scary that would have been. But maybe Joseph might have got similar reactions to people sat around him. But he... Even this, and this took place before the Holy Spirit was allowed to indwell us because Christ hadn't yet died. But here he was making a decision to flourish where he was planted. I remember working at Quicksafe supermarket many, many years ago um, back in the north of England when I was about 16, 17, just stacking shelves. There's a supermarket called Quicksafe. You know, and I, 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 um, I had people all around me who make fun of my faith, make, just make fun of me, make fun of me because I wouldn't go out and get drunk, make fun of me because I wouldn't do the things they would do. And I just remember sort of clocking in every day. We had clock cards. Who remembers those clock cards used to have in those, those days? Probably still have them some places. And going in there and just trying to be a witness to, uh, to these people about what I believe in. Each day was like a thousand years. But I thought, I don't care. I want to go for each day because it's better. You see, I'd rather do what God wants me to do than do what they're doing because I'm being rebellious by following Jesus Christ. You know, the only thing that's going to matter in a thousand years' time is what we did for Christ, not the things, we, not the other things. 
And thirdly, this is incredible. He was determined to let go of the past. How do you let go of the past when you've been hurt? How do you do it? When somebody's said something horrible that's totally changed the course of your life, or somebody's done something that's totally changed the course of your life, how do you let go of the past? How do you, how do you let go of the past? But there he stood in front of his family, and he was gracious and compassionate and loving, even, even sort of going out to, to cry and come back again and, and being compassionate with them and thinking about them. I mean, I mean goodness me, can you he, could have, he, could have, he could have said there, right, close the doors. Right, you know who I am now, don't you? Right, let's get them. Right, we're going to put you, 12 years, I want to put you, you lot in prison for 50 years because you deserve it. But no, he didn't. He made a decision to forgive and let go of the past. And when he, and when he saw his brothers there, he had compassion on them, and he thought about their good and their future. I'm going to give you sort of uh, one final illustration. If you believe that, then you, <laughs> you believe anything. But one final illustration, honestly. I, I, I remember um, working for a petrol station when I was um, also back in Derby many, many years ago. And my boss had tremendous blood pressure, high blood pressure. He was very, very aggressive and very, very angry. And, uh, and uh, I, I, I had no... Nothing about me to ask him why. I didn't, I didn't know why he was like that, but I, I basically remember him being very sort of angry. But as the years went by, I, I, I found out that his son had done something very, very bad to hurt all the family on Christmas Day. It doesn't matter what it was, but his son had spoiled the family um, um, Christmas on Christmas Day many, many years ago. And he, he kicked his son out, and he'd never, ever forgiven him. And this went on, went on year and year after year after year. And his son had grown up, and his son was a company director, but he wouldn't forgive him. And his blood pressure got worse and worse and worse. And, and, and I remember thinking to myself, my goodness, look how it's affecting you because you've refused to forgive. You see, if we refuse to forgive, it, we're not hurting the other person because they, they're getting on with life. Here's Joseph in prison. I mean, whatever Joseph felt about his family wouldn't matter because they, they had no communication with him. They were back there in Canaan, living it up, um, having a great life. But, but here was Joseph cut off from literally absolutely everything. Nothing had gone right. It all fallen to pieces. He couldn't see God in everything, anything, but yet he made a determined effort to stand up and find God and do the right thing. And as a result, God came in. Do you know something? What I've learned, um, because being in ministry, you get dropped in the deep end. You really do. I remember standing up there on the first Sunday. I've preached quite a few times over here, but standing up there on my first Sunday in Romsey and having to sort of leave the church and chat to people and visit them in the week and do communion and do everything as well and and find out why people weren't there and visit them in hospital and and, and, and do things like that. And, and you know, I, I'm finding that God is just so merciful and so compassionate. He doesn't always do the things that we want him to do. Quite often in the world. And sometimes he leaves just a few questions unanswered in our lives um, to get us to seek him more. He has ways of sort of bringing us back to him. But I've seen, we've seen God do miracles. We've seen God do financial miracles. I, I've felt the presence of the Holy Spirit, and we, we've felt God speak to us. We're seeing God do great things. God is merciful and compassionate. And I, I know for a fact, and I've found this myself, that the more you press into him, the more you make a, a decision yourself that you're going to get to know him, the more he will reveal himself to you. And quite often he will reveal himself to you in a way that he won't reveal himself to anybody else. You know, he'll just, he'll just, each of our relationships with him are special. And, and, God had, and Joseph had a special walk with God. So what about you then? I'll ask you a question. You know, what, what, 
And before I do that, you know, I mean, this movement was founded by a guy called George Jeffries, wasn't it? We all know about George Jeffries. And I've been to Elim Conference. I saw Martin there as well. We were there for um, most of the conference. We had to leave early but, uh, for some reason. But we, we were there for most of the week. And, and, you know, some great speakers there. And this vicar of Baghdad, this Andrew White guy, is unbelievable. It really is. I mean, what God is doing. I mean, the guy, the guy is vicar of a church in Baghdad, in Iraq, with rockets flying over their head. And, you know, he's seen people, tremendous things happen. And, um, but somebody told me about George Jeffries um, recently and about some of the things that he used to do. And some of you, perhaps, who are more senior than I, I know I don't um, look very old, but I guarantee you I am over 30. Um, but, uh, you know, George Jeffries, and I'll finish with this in a moment and we'll pray, but George Jeffries, this is how the Ely movement started. George Jeffries used to come to a town, okay, and he would pray in that town. And then some, a tremendous, significant healing would take place. Like with one occasion where he was praying for a girl with no eyes and eyeballs appeared. You know, and this sort of thing used to happen week after week after week all over the country. And people would come to flock, and then they'd fly somebody in from a Bible college, and they would, they would head up the church, and an Elim church would be planted there. Then he'd go to another church, and the same thing would happen. And this guy would, pre- would press into God daily, sometimes praying for two, three, four hours every morning. You know, and, and he'd, he'd sort of press into God, and God would do great things with him. And, and, I, and I, I just think to myself, my goodness, if it's possible for one man to be used God like that, let it happen to me. Not necessarily in the miraculous, because God will use me in the miraculous if he wants to. But let me do all that God has for me in my life. Let me do all, all that God... Let me, I want to discover all that God's got for me in my life. And I want to challenge you this morning. I don't know... You know, I haven't seen some of you for two years. Some of you I've seen in between. I don't know your situation. But I want to challenge you this morning to grab hold of all that God's got for you again. Yes, you might feel like Joseph this morning. You might feel sat here thinking, nothing, nothing, nothing about my life is right at the moment. That's how Joseph felt. But he turned around and he said, don't interpretations belong to God. He didn't say, don't talk to me about God. He said, don't interpretations belong to God. You know, God can do great things in this church. God can do, I mean, God's doing great things in this church. But what I meant was God can do great things in this island. Um, and, you know, I know, I know there's, there's a movement stirring now amongst the youth. You've got something exciting happening here with United in the evening. And, and, and I actually said um, to, uh, to Pete yesterday, Pete Chesman, that I think uh, what is happening with, with the youth now here in the evenings is, is, is greater than anything that's happened for a long time. It's exciting, and I just take my hat off to you, and I'm humbled by it, and I'm looking forward to seeing it tonight, you know, and just coming along and having a good nose and seeing how it's going. But I want to leave that with you this morning. Flourish where you're planted. If you find yourself um, in a situation... Um, like Joseph did, be determined to honour God no matter what. Be determined to flourish where you're planted. And be determined, you're going to need God's help for this, to let go of the past. Can you let go of everything from the past? It ain't easy, is it? But be determined to let go of the past. Let's, 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 I don't know what to do now, but I think, I think I'm, just, I'm just going to pray a general prayer. And maybe, I want to bring people out the front, but maybe now, and you don't have to sort of say the, the situation or it's this that happened or that happened. You know, if you've got things that are confidential, you don't need to share them. But if you feel like Joseph felt in that prison this morning, um, that in your life something has happened, something has disappointed you, you've kind of come off the rails a little bit, or you just, you're looking back at your life and you're thinking, why, 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 why? And you just, and you just feel like in some, some kind of a prison. Just stand to your feet now. I want to pray a general prayer. So if you just feel like you want prayer this morning, I don't care if it's one person, two people, or whatever, that you just look back on your life and you just think, why, 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 why? You know, um, um, just, you know I don't need to know why. I just want to pray a general prayer this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Praise your name. Lord, we thank you that it's all about you. Lord, we thank you that on this Pentecost Sunday, 
um, we are reminded that there is nothing we can do ourselves. In the same way that a workman uses tools to, to do a job, we need the Holy Spirit in every area of our lives. And Lord, I pray for these people this morning. I pray in the name of Jesus that you'll meet them right now, right where they are. Lord, that you'll reach right deep into their spirits, that you will just give them zeal for you. And that whatever it is, that when they look back on their life, and they look back over the years and the decades, and perhaps with regret, perhaps with disappointment, that Lord, I pray that you can gently come up to them right now and just give them a big hug and turn their head forward and help them to realize that you're with them. That if they need to be forgiven for the past for anything, that they're forgiven. Help them to forgive where they need to forgive. But Lord, I pray for every person here. I pray that they'll come to know you in a deeper way. I pray in the name of Jesus, Father God, that you will just do something exciting with people. That some of these people that are standing up. I pray that you will give them dreams. I pray that you will let them know, Lord, that there's no condemnation on any Christian, Lord. Because, Lord, the devil condemns us sometimes. I just feel that there's one person here. I don't know who it is. I don't need to know. But the Holy Spirit is saying that you just feel condemned. You look back on your life and you just you think, oh, you know, I wish I hadn't made that mistake. I, I wish I hadn't made that mistake. I'm no good as the, the rest of the Christians now. And God's saying to you, yes, you are. You're forgiven. There's no condemnation. You know, the Holy Spirit doesn't condemn us. The Holy Spirit always encourages us. It's the devil that brings condemning words. When the Holy Spirit speaks to us, it's always to, to encourage us, but in a gentle way, and, and, and at a pace that we can take. He never pushes us. I pray right now, Lord, for, for your anointing on every single one of these people. And in the name of Jesus, I pray that you'll bless them. And, and Lord, put two firm shoes on their feet and give them the strength again to walk with you. And Lord, I, I pray a real blessing on their lives. I pray that they'll know your anointing, your presence in all they do. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.